So a few weeks back, I went to a local restaurant with some friends, and um, we are paying out uh, at the register, and um, I get through paying, I go outside, hanging out with other guys, while the other guys finish paying out, and while I'm standing outside, um, one of the guys runs into me. And at that time, I didn't really think anything of that. Oh, excuse me, sorry. I just thought, well, they're acting like me. So I just left it alone and went about my day. And we get back to the office, and I had one of those moments where you feel uh, and you realize something's missing, right? And I was like, I left my wallet up there. So I call. No one will answer the phone. So... Um, I asked the guys if uh, anyone had given them my wallet. No. So I get in my car, and I'm about to leave. And Landon texts me. He says, your wallet's on your desk. And, man, I'm nice to you. I'm your friend. So I come back in figure out, okay, how did I lose my wallet? And I start backtracking. So I'm going through the events that happened. And I thought, well, took my wallet out of my pocket. I paid with my credit card. I put it back. I signed the receipt, and I walked off and just left it by the register. <clears throat> and the guy after me, Brady, he picked it up and gave it to one of them. And so I go in Landon's office, and I said, I figured it out. He goes, oh, yeah, what would you figure out? I said, Brady, I must have left it by the register, and Brady grabbed it and gave it to one of y'all. He goes, how do you know that? I said, because Mama didn't raise no fool. I said that. Okay, that's my, some of my oakiness coming out in me. Uh, so I said that to him, and he laughed and went on, and I texted Brady. I said, bro, why didn't you just give me my wallet? He goes, bro, Landon gave it to me. I said, Landon gave it to you? Yeah, and so I go in there, and I'm like, <laughs> I said, so you took my wallet. He goes, but mama didn't raise no fool. So it was a good laugh. We um, just so happened that when Landon ran into me, he happened to grab my wallet. And it was a good running joke there for a second. So tonight we're going to talk about um, Solomon. Because uh, we're going to see that uh, Solomon is going to be full of wisdom. But we're going to also see that Solomon had a lot of faults as well. And I uh, thought that kind of tied in a little bit to, to what I was going to do. First and second um, Samuel, we will see a transition happening in the history of the Jewish people from a period of the judges to a period of the kings. And the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles um, have to do with a period of, of a monarchy in the history of the Jewish people as well as the very, you know, the awful failure that these kings will experience through their walk in uh, and so Saul, we have the very first king, sits on the throne for 40 years. We see David uh, after him will sit on the throne for 40 years. And then, of course, his son Solomon will sit on the throne for another 40 years. So for 120 years of, of their history here, we see that a single king is going to sit on the throne. And uh, after a point there in time, there's a split in the kingdom uh, Splits into the north and the south. The north being the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom being the kingdom of Judah. And that lasts for a while until the northern kingdom is carried off into captivity. 
And then eventually the southern kingdom will be carried off into captivity as well. So, uh, and we learned that through those almost 500 years when those kings reign, that over and over and over again that we've seen through the Old Testament leading up to now and even through the, the lives of these kings, uh, that if you do not do it God's way, God will make it right. God will take whatever that you're doing wrong, your disobedience to him, and he's going to correct it in his own way. Uh, it may not be in this person's lifetime, but it will be made right. Uh, so tonight we're going to look at Solomon, one of the best known characters in the Bible. Uh, he's mentioned about 300 times in the Old Testament and several, uh, well, probably about a dozen times in the New Testament. We're going to look at several of those verses tonight. Um, so let's look at this quote by Timothy Mackey uh, from the Bible Project on, on Solomon. He said, Solomon had everything going for him. And other decisions from early in his reign seemed malicious or ill-intended. But slowly as he went through life, his heart became insensitive. As a result, his great wisdom that once represented a divine gift became an instrument for self-service and exaltation. It's a realistic depiction of the same character flaw we saw at work in the story of Saul. Self-deception is, by definition, impossible to spot on your own. You'll never, see it, you'll never see yourself going down a road of no return. No one ever sets out to ruin their life on purpose, and certainly not to ruin anyone else's, but it happens all the time. So we also see where we're at on the storyline. We're in uh, the monarchy. We're in the time of the monarchy. We, we're after the judges. We're into the time of the kings. And it's going to be before uh, the nation is divided and, and set into exile. So we're in the time of the kings. So if you have a Bible, if you will turn to First Kings. And we're going to camp out in First Kings tonight. We're going to kind of be in the entire book. So if you want to keep your thumb there, that would be excellent. We see that Solomon's name means peace. Uh, Solomon would not face any wars uh, in his life, in his uh, 40 years as king. Uh, he had a few skirmishes here and there, but nothing where an adversary was up against him. He had peace during his 40 year reign as king. And in 2 Samuel, Solomon is also gave, given the name. Anyone know? It's on the screen, so I know y'all know. Jedediah. Uh, meaning beloved by the Lord. So he also has a name given to him, and that's Jedediah. So let's look at the life story of, of Solomon, and let's get into him becoming king, because this is really the first time uh, that you see something happening in his life. And um, David's time has come to an end, and Solomon had been chosen by God to be king. Uh, and at this time, he had an older brother named Adonijah, and he sees himself as the rightful heir. And he sees himself as uh, the person who needs to be king, not Solomon. Even though he knows the things that have been said, he's, he's like, man, I think it's my place. I think it's, I'm the oldest, so therefore it's mine. And um, he gets a small band of guys together, and he proclaims himself as king. Um, and they start having, they make sacrifices and they start having a celebration that he's the king. And they start celebrating their victory. 
But the prophet Nathan and David's wife Bathsheba uh, got word of what was happening with older brother. So they go into David and they set into motion uh, David uh, allowing uh, Solomon to be crowned king, to be anointed the king. So uh, 1 Kings chapter 1, let's start in verse 33. It says, And the king said to them, Take with you the servant of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord and the God of, uh, of my Lord and king say, as, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord and king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gideon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with, a great, with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. So the wannabe celebration was ended by the real celebration of the anointing of the king. And uh, I don't want us to miss David's charge to Solomon because one of the most important things that Solomon needs to know is uh, how to rule uh, with wisdom, how to rule in the ways that uh, the prophets have told them to rule and how Moses had decreed and, and back in Deuteronomy there are guidelines to which a king is supposed to follow. And so David is going to charge his son. Uh, so 1 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. We'll only be reading through verse 4. So uh, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son pays close attention to my way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." What a great charge from a dad to a son. And so I have to follow his rules. You know, this is kind of it. We're going through the book of Exodus. And this is becoming a theme if you haven't picked up on it yet. Uh, we're going through the book of Exodus on Sundays. So we've been picking up this theme of if we do what God tells us to do, if we obey his law, if we will continue to seek after him and not after idols, then things go really well for us. When we turn from the left or the right of that, 
in any way, shape, or form, things get really haywire. When we are in charge, things don't go so well. And that's what David is telling Solomon. Walk in his ways, keep his statutes, keep his commands, keep his rules, keep his testimonies, as it, as it is written in the law of Moses. So let's look at Solomon's wisdom. Because as we talk about Solomon and as we talk about uh, Solomon as king, uh, this, without a doubt, you can't talk about Solomon without talking about wisdom. Uh, my son Isaiah, um, he's very um, picky about what he eats. Uh, I promise you right now, I could bring him in here and he wouldn't know anything about it. I could put him behind closed doors and you could just have a video of it. And I could put a plate of cucumbers in front of him and a plate of uh, chocolate cake. And he's going to eat the cucumbers. And you're like, well, that's amazing, all right? What, what son? That's just weird. So it is weird. Uh, he actually uh, w- loved bell peppers uh, for a long time, and then he got called bell pepper breath at school, and now he's like, I don't want to eat bell peppers anymore. So uh, there you go. Maybe we'll just send him with Hershey Kisses, and then when he eats those, they're like, you got Hershey breath. And he won't want to eat those, right? No, it doesn't work that way. So he has a decision to make. And, and we're going to see here uh, Solomon is faced with a decision. And I put myself in this. Um, I ask myself this question today. You know, like a whole genie, Aladdin, you know, the movie where they rub the lamp and a genie pops out. And he says, I won't grant you a wish. We're going to see that. Solomon is going to have a dream, and God is going to ask him, what is one thing that you desire? And I tried to put myself in that position of, if that really happened, what would I choose? And I couldn't really come up with one because I always went back to Bible answers, right? I was like, well, I'd ask for wisdom, or I'd ask for this or that. or uh, I couldn't really come up with an answer. So uh, you think about that, and let me know after we get through tonight. I'd like to hear some of your answers without... Going back to the Bible, let's not listen to Solomon here. But First uh, Kings chapter three, starting in verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, "Ask what I shall give you." And Solomon said, "You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness and of heart towards you, and you have kept." For him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself a long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, But you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before. 
before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I will, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you have, if you like to write in your Bible, circle that word, if. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all the servants. So Solomon asked for wisdom. And God chose not to just give him wisdom. It pleased him so much that that's what he asked for, that he gave him all the things that he didn't ask for. Uh, I don't know how quickly Solomon must have answered God, but certainly these other things <clears throat> excuse me, would have been going on in his head. But he asked for wisdom. And God chose to give him not only wisdom, but he also chose to give him peace and riches and fame. Uh, so we see the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, he spoke over 3,000 Proverbs, uh, 917 being in the book of Proverbs. Uh, he wrote over 1,000 songs. And the wisdom of Solomon even reached uh, throughout the territory, throughout the uh, reaches, wherever they could travel to, it was reaching there. And so many people in the region, all the powers in the region, they heard of the wisdom of Solomon. They heard stories about how great it was. And some people, as we're going to see with Queen Sheba, will even pay Solomon a visit to try to trump him, to try to... Uh, Ask him questions that he will not be able to answer. She's going to try to trip him up. And we see this in 1 Kings chapter 10. Uh, starting in verse 4. 1 Kings chapter 10. It says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, and the house that he had built, and the food of his table, and the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants their clothing, their cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath in her. He literally takes her breath away. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard, that I heard on my own land of your word and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came on, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and your prosperity surpass the report that I heard. So even seeing that rulers from other lands are coming to visit Solomon, coming to seek his advice, coming to see if he really is as wise as the words that are uh, told about him are true. See if they're true. First Kings chapter 4, don't turn there, it's a really quick verse. I'm just going to say, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and the breadth of the mind was like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. So, as we read those verses, as you hear about how intelligent he is, and I'll just say, if you have not read about Solomon, go back and read some of the things, because it tells some of the stories of how he was discerning and, and how he de dealt with uh, issues that would arise and just the wisdom that he uh, received in that. So let's look at the next point, building the temple. This is going to be one of Solomon's main 
things, his undertaking as king. This is something that his father David would want to do. That, um, and because in First Chronicles 28, God told David, you're not going to build uh, the house for me. You're not going to build this temple for me because you have shed too much blood. Your hands are too dirty. So therefore, your son is going to build me a temple. So he did not allow David to do that. And uh, I know that that must have been on Solomon's heart and that his father wanted to do it. So he wanted to honor his father by building uh, and honor the Lord by building this temple. Uh, so, and as we've been studying through Exodus, the tabernacle was the place where people met with God. Uh, and now this permanent temple is going to be built. Uh, the very place where David had brought, had bought the threshing floor at Ornan. Uh, and he bought this land because he was going to build uh, the temple right there. And Solomon is going to carry out those plans. So, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 3 says that Solomon began to build the temple, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor uh, of Ornan the Jebusite. So 1 Kings chapter 6 uh, tells us that the temple took about seven years to build. Uh, that's about how long it takes to build, uh, to build a house in Odessa these days. Uh, if anyone is, is in the market of building a house, no, I'm just kidding, it doesn't take that long, but it's pretty close. Uh, to put this in a perspective, David took about 13 years to build his own house. But he built the temple, he had the temple built in seven years. He spared no expense on the temple. He ordered vast quantities of cedar wood uh, from a king in Tyre. We see that in 1 Kings 5. He had huge blocks of stones quarried out. And they were actually quarried out at a different spot because it says uh, that no, in 1 Kings 6, 7, no tool of iron was heard at the temple site. So I want you to think about that. So you're going to, to build, the, you're going to etch out these stones way over here and then you're going to bring them in and you hope they fit, right? Because I don't know about you, but since last year's hailstorm in June, uh, it's constant uh, roof repair around here, right? We hear roofers everywhere. We hear all the roofing all around town. Everywhere we go, roofs are being replaced, and that's all you hear is hammers, hammers on roofs over and over and over. And no sound of a hammer at the temple site. We see that right here where David did not want that. This was going to be a very holy place, and he said, you know what? You can etch it out over there, and you can bring it here, and we can build the build." The temple. Uh, 3,300 officials were appointed to oversee the building project, which means if you had 3,300 bosses telling other people what to do, you can just imagine the army of the small army of people it must have taken to get the temple built in seven years. So Solomon sought to bring honor to God, to bring honor to his father. And not just for the Jews, but for the whole earth. So 1 Kings chapter 8. I want us to see this verse. 1 Kings chapter 8. After completion, the temple was dedicated uh, with prayer. The temple will be dedicated with sacrifice. Uh, starting in verse 41. It says, Likewise... 
when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a, from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and of your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and he prays towards this house, here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So Solomon's ultimate goal in building this temple is not just for God to be honored, not just so his father can be honored, not just so that the people of Israel can come there and worship, but he wants the whole world to know about the glory of God. And he says, you know what? Foreigners are going to come from afar to see this. And he's praying here that God would hear from heaven and he would answer their prayer so that the whole world may know of your name and fear you. So what an amazing sight it must have been. And and we could do a, a whole series on just the temple and what each thing means in the temple and all those things, but we don't have that much time. So we'll just say it was awesome. Uh, So let's look at the next part, Solomon's sin, because this is the part that's not so awesome. Solomon's fame and his riches grew bigger and bigger, um, but so did Solomon's ego as well. Uh, He attracted people from all over the world. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10 gives you an idea of the enormous uh, amount of wealth that Solomon had stored up. Uh, so we have peace, we have prosperity, we have power. Solomon had it all. Solomon had everything going for him. And that's when Solomon's wisdom became very earthly and not heavenly. That's when Solomon's wisdom really will turn for the worse. So I want you to flip back. I do want you to turn uh, to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. And we're going to read some of the requirements that Moses will uh, lay out for the kings. For future kings, they are to act and follow these rules. So flip back to Deuteronomy 17, and we're going to be starting in verse 14. It says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you uh, who is not your brother. Verse 16. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. So, A, B, C, D. Here's what you have to do, kings. You have to do these four things. You can't acquire many horses. You can't acquire horses from Egypt. You can't acquire many wives. And you can't acquire great wealth. Uh, So let's see 
in 1 Kings chapter 10 and 11, how Solomon will do with this. So the first one, you shall not acquire many horses. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. And it says, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 1,200 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king uh, in Jerusalem. So, pass or fail? Fail. Okay. Number two, you're not to get them from Egypt. So, verse Kings chapter 10, verse 28. And Solomon imported horses from Egypt and Ku, and the king's traders received them from Ku at a price. And the chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the king of Syria. So pass or fail. Failed again. Next, he was not supposed to have many wives. And we've seen over and over in the Bible where people try to have two wives. And it's very difficult, right? Let's see how Solomon does here. 1 Kings chapter 11, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his, David his father. So pass or fail? Not two wives, 700. Okay. Lastly, you are not to have excessive silver or gold. Uh, and you can see in 1 Kings chapter 10, I think I have all these verses up on the screen. Uh, and I'll, let me, let's just read those. Not, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Uh, King Solomon excelled in all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. I want you to think about that. Silver was as common as a rock throughout Jerusalem. So he had stored up so much silver that it was as common as a stone. Pass or fail? Fail. So Solomon's heart was pulled in every direction. His heart was turned away from God and towards many idols. And we see that his wife's Many foreign, many marriages created for allegiances, many marriages that happened for peace in the area, many allegiances. He probably didn't know some of these women, but some of them he did. And they, they, they turned his heart away from the Lord his God and into the heart of uh, his heart was turned to idols, to worship other idols, resulting in 1 Kings chapter 11. Resulting in 1 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 9. And we all see it coming. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice... And you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. 
Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days. But I will, will tear it out of your hand and of, of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom. But I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant. And for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So he turned away from the Lord. His heart was turned to idols. The Lord had had enough. He had not carried, he had not obeyed his commands. And the Lord was finished with him. And he, he lays out his punishment here. And we see that uh, it's not going to happen in his day. But his son, the kingdom will be torn out of his hands. He'll give him one part of the kingdom. Uh, and we see that God's punishment will be on not only his son, but on nations to come. So let's look lastly at Solomon's death. 1 Kings chapter 11 uh, and verse 41. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom are they not written in the book of the, act, of the acts of Solomon. And the time of Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Solomon's reign ended at 40 years. He wasn't quite 60 years old. So, um, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Uh, so what do we take away from Solomon's life? Let's look at some negatives and some positives. The first positive is that Solomon could have asked self, selfishly for his own riches or fame, but instead he humbled himself and selflessly asked for wisdom. You know, I have to give Solomon a lot of credit. I don't think I would have asked for wisdom in the moment uh, if, if God would have asked me for one thing. I don't, I don't know what I would have asked for, but I don't think wisdom would have been top on the priority, my priority list. So, and he humbled himself. He didn't ask for all the things that most people would ask for. That, um, he, but he asked for wisdom. He was young. He was inexperienced. He didn't know as much as other people. And that probably frustrated him, to, frustrated him to a point to where he's like, I have to have wisdom. I have to, have, I have to know how to govern your people. Give me the ability to discern evil from what's right. And God gave him that wisdom. And told him specifically, there will be none as wise as you, uh, either before or after you. None as wise. So, a negative. Solomon's great wisdom that once represented a, a divine gift became an instrument for self-service, self-service, and turned his heart to worship other gods. You know, the sad reality is, I believe this is true for so many of us in our lives today. In Solomon, we can see the most pressing temptations that I think we as Americans, we face a lot of the temptations that uh, Solomon must have faced. Um, being famous, being rich, having our name known. Um, we see that many of the temptations that he would have faced as king, as ruler, I think we, we face them often. And these temptations that come along with money and power and love as well as idolatry, it's so, easily, it's so easy to take roots in our heart, root in our hearts. You know, 
Um, when I think about idolatry, I think there's so many cases, and I love the sermon series that Landon did on little g-gods, because I think so many of the little g-gods in our lives, we don't really consider to be gods. Uh, we don't, it's not so in your face as um, some of the other big sins that we uh, might fall into, but they're nonetheless idol worship. They're nonetheless sinful. And so we see here Solomon struggling with these things. And they became the very gift that God gave him, the very divine gift that God gave over to him. He had the wisdom to choose what was right and what was wrong. And he chose to do what was wrong. The smartest man gave us some warnings. Solomon, this man right here who experienced everything under the sun. He, he wrote an entire book on what he experienced. And that's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. This is just a verse. It says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I haven't met anyone yet who could capture the wind, who could catch it, who could contain it. And that's what Solomon says. Everything that's under the sun, all of the, what this world has to offer, it's all worthless. It's all vanity. So we just need to be reminded, be reminded very specifically. And I think Solomon would remind us of this, of this very fact that even the wisest man can still lose focus. Even the wisest person can still lose focus on what is true and chase the things of this world. The last one is a positive and a negative uh, it says, the Lord God never fails to keep his word, whether it be mercy or whether it be judgment. God never fails to keep his word. And that could, he could keep his word in being merciful to some. He could keep his word in being judgmental to some. But he never fails to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And over and over and over again, we hear in the Old Testament, keep my laws, keep my statutes, obey my commands, and things will go well. And this is a living picture that if you do not do what God asks you to do, that it will not go well. So, pointing to Jesus. How does this, how does Solomon's life point to Jesus? First of all, the wisdom of Solomon doesn't compare to the wisdom of the Lord. Flip over to Matthew chapter 12. The wisdom of Solomon doesn't compare to the wisdom of the Lord. Matthew chapter 12. And we see Jesus arguing here with the Pharisees. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trip him up on what he's teaching. And Jesus is going to make a pretty bold statement here. Starting in verse 41. It says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they have repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus is looking at these Pharisees straight in the face. And he goes, listen, Jonah preached to the Ninevites. Solomon told uh, Queen Sheba about my truth. Okay? And these people believed it. 
And here you are speaking to someone who's greater than Jonah, speaking to someone who's greater, um, who is greater than, I've lost it, uh, Solomon. Great, thank you. That's who I'm talking about tonight. Greater than Solomon. And you don't believe. Someone greater than Solomon is here. So here he's looking at these Pharisees in the face. And they saw the truth face to face. They're speaking to Jesus. They're speaking to God's son. And they're missing it. And he's telling them, listen, they're going to they're gonna come up and they're going to condemn you. They, they listen to the truth and trusted in, in it. And you're not. You're listening to the truth and you're rejecting it with all that you are. So the wisdom of Solomon does not compare to the wisdom of the Lord. Secondly, God will establish his kingdom through the offspring of David. We see the prophet Nathan speaking to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he says to him, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, from before you, and the... And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with, uh, with all the visions, Nathan spoke to David. What a perfect picture we see of what Solomon was after his father David. He ruled in peace. He had great wealth. He established a mighty kingdom. He established a temple for the people to come into worship. But ultimately, this passage is pointing to Jesus. Yes, it was pointing to Solomon. But ultimately, it's pointing to Jesus. Because God will establish his throne that will last forever. Who God has been the father of Jesus' son. And when he commits iniquity, our sins being laid upon Jesus, he will be disciplined with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. And yes, that was pointing to Solomon. But ultimately... It was pointing to Jesus and how Jesus, in the end of this age, will set up his throne that will last forever. So Solomon as king, pointing to Jesus as king. Solomon as building the temple, Jesus being the temple. Which brings us to our last point. God's presence is forever with us. 1 Kings chapter 8. God's presence is with us forever. In 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 9. It says, there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Orb. And when the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. In Matthew 27, in which we will celebrate, and this exact thing that's about to take place, this verse I'm about to read, is what we will celebrate this Sunday on Easter. Well, it's actually what we will um, worship Friday night in Jesus' death. 
at Jesus' death, 2751 says this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. So Solomon built the temple so that God could come and dwell among us. And Jesus is the temple of God that came and lived the perfect life, that lived the life that we could not live, that accomplished the purposes of being a propitiation for you and us, for, for all of us, so that when we see Jesus take his last breath and he says, it is accomplished, there's this massive earthquake, and Jesus rips the curtain from top to bottom in the temple. The very curtain that used to separate the Holy of Holies from everyone is now open to everyone. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. And that's exactly what God was pointing to when he, uh, in these verses in 2 Samuel. Uh, and I will raise up from your bloodline a, a king that will reign forever. And ultimately that was pointing to Jesus. Um, so that's a brief snapshot of the life of Solomon. Uh, as one commentator that I read this week called Solomon, he called him the wisest fool. And I thought that was kind of appropriate that he called him the wisest fool. My hope for you tonight as we talk about Solomon, I hope it serves as a warning to us to really look inwardly at our lives and not think too highly of ourselves, uh, lest we fall into the same trap that Solomon did. I hope that we don't think too highly of ourselves or uh, think that uh, we don't need the Lord, but let the, this be a great reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus, who will not let our failures or the failures of anyone before us get the final word. Jesus has made a way, God has made a way through Jesus, his son, that we could be counted as righteous, and we could be counted as the sons of God, and, and that's exactly what Sol Solomon was pointing to. He was pointing to Jesus, and